0: You're listening to We've Got Issues, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, exploring hot topics and current trends in communications. This podcast is produced by Issues Management Group, an integrated strategic communications, public affairs, and digital firm, guiding clients through complex, highly leveraged situations. This world is complicated, it's no surprise, We've Got Issues.
1: Hi everyone, I'm TJ Winnick.
0: And I'm Riva Chesis. Welcome to We've Got Issues.
1: Our guest today is someone you might say we're familiar with. It's our boss, Dan Sensi, the CEO of Issues Management Group. Dan is a veteran political and strategic communications strategist whose sweet spot is solving complex issues for clients through skillfully managed and coordinated multi-channel campaigns. Highlights on his resume include senior strategists for five U.S. House campaigns, three U.S. Senate campaigns, and multiple gubernatorial races. He also served as Massachusetts Press Secretary for the Democratic nominees in three presidential elections.
0: Dan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's my honor and pleasure to be here, and I've been waiting to be invited. So I'm happy to be here today. Thanks.
1: Well, you definitely have to know someone. I think so. (laughs)
0: Let's jump right in. The biggest question our listeners are likely wondering, why the rebrand? And what does the new name Issues Management Group signify?
2: Well, um, where to start? Uh, You know, the idea behind the rebrand was clearly an acknowledgement of the growth and the movement of our firm forward. Uh, When I took over as CEO back in uh, January of 2020, we were... We 28 folks. We had a little bit different DNA and a little bit different legacy to where we were going. We have kept all of that, all of our great work in real estate and in crisis and mission focused and things of that nature. But we added a, a number of different tranches in healthcare in cannabis, in and cannabis and alcohol. And now here we are, fast forward. We're north of 50 people. We have a robust lobbying practice that we've added, and we're finding ourselves more and more at the intersection of policy and business, which is really where we were in the past, but it's only been redoubled in our efforts and our focus today. I am very team focused in my approach, and I believed really from the start that I wanted to take my name for sure out of the title to allow us to be more centrally focused as a team, to allow us to be scalable, to not be held back by only one person or people. Wonderful homage to Helene and Ashley throughout the years and all of the work they did to get us to this point. Uh, I consulted with them well before the decision was made and they completely agreed. And, and actually one comment was it's about time, figured it would have happened much earlier, but it, it really is just a, a signification of where we stand now as an Organization, our ability to to grow in any way, shape, or form, and to have the focus beyond the team and not be any one individual. It's something I preach constantly, and and something that I think that I manage uh, with that in mind uh, at all points in time. So I, I really feel like that was was a major impetus for the change itself and the removal of individual names. The actual name. Itself, some folks may know that I I worked with Jack Murphy, who is the partner at Murphy Dunahue, the lobbying firm we just recently merged with and now currently integrating with. A number of years ago, when I uh, was younger in the business and got my start in the government affairs part of this business, he actually got me started. And when we were working together, we were known then as Issues Management Group Government Affairs, and I loved the name, always did. When he partnered with Roger, I spun off and went on my own and they mothballed it, and they became Murphy-Dunohue partners, kind of the reverse of what we're doing. And I had always had it in my head, at some point in time, I was either gonna ask Jack if I could have it, or what ended up happening is we went out and bought it, and now we have it ourselves. So it it signifies a a lot of things, and it's really to the point uh, of us as an organization Refining our identity and understanding. You know, the the idea around helping clients who find themselves in highly leveraged situations, difficult situations, and and moving it through while also maintaining our past legacy clients of luxury real estate and and nonprofit and, and mission focused, managing their way through. So I I, I think that. To me, that's what it signifies, and and that was really the idea of that, and no one ever could pronounce my last name, so let's just move on from there and give it something easy to do.
1: So you you talked about enhanced capabilities in certain sectors and in certain practice areas. One of those is certainly public affairs, government relations, lobbying. So let's talk about integrating communications and public affairs. And, you know, you've been involved in this for a while. So how have things changed in the past 20 years, would you say, with regards to, you know, integrating those two areas? And and where do you think things are
2: headed? So... Uh, there are a couple different theories on this, and you'll see other firms throughout the city who are becoming very specialized and running very deep. I don't subscribe to that theory, hence the reason why we are constructed the way we are. It is fine. It's one way to tackle uh, this industry and, and to address it. We're looking at a more holistic approach to content. We've brought together our strategic communications group, uh, lobbying of public affairs. And I believe that the transformation of communications also mirrors and marries what's going on in the public affairs. where Public affairs groups are moving more towards being comm shops, and comm shops are being moving more towards public affairs in, in everything they do, especially in the Northeast Corridor. I would argue that there is nothing and no decision made in business without a political understanding to it, without how is this going to be perceived from a political standpoint, or in many of the industries we work in, are the government regulators who oversee what we do, finance, real estate, healthcare, constantly interacting with government, how are, we, how are they going to perceive what we're doing and what do we need to consider relative to how they regulate us and how they govern over us? You'll see in many of the coalitions we work on or many of even straight lobbying government affairs, as we, you saw with uh, the campaign that was run for the Mass Brewer's Appeal, there is a communications component to all of that. How do we take consumers, activate them, message them appropriately, and then have them advocate for the outcomes they want into government, into the legislature, into others. And I think that that's moving more towards that way than anything, especially in the the communication side. And then bringing that all in with digital capabilities, within five years, I don't think we'll be writing press releases anymore. I think they're gonna go away. Entirely. I think they've almost already had, You know, I think that media uh, releases and, and and alerts and things of that nature are all going to change and go to digital. Owned media is going to ultimately be the king of what all that is. And that's just kind of this smorgasbord of paid, earned, you know, altogether. We're just calling it owned. And, and it's all going to have to be integrated because what we do... We're content managers. We provide information. We show our clients in the best light possible where others can consume that information and understand what their brand is, what their values are. And people more and more are going to social media, to self-publishing, to podcasts, to Reddit. That's where us as communications professionals and us as content managers need to go. Fish where the fish are. Provide the information where people consume it. Right. And that's why since 2010, there's 40 percent fewer reporters in the marketplace and 35 percent more communications professionals. That's real data. And the reason is there's not less news. There's more. There's just far more outlets for folks to consume it from. There's no more getting the, the Boston Globe, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, delivered on your front stoop, sitting down every morning with your coffee and reading those three publications, maybe the post you add to it. Or I read far more newspapers than I ever did, but far less of them because I read them all online. I consume information from different places relative to where I am. Uh, and I read from far more different sources. So us as communications professionals need to understand or our end users right are where they're consuming information about our clients find a way to manipulate that find a way to influence that which is what we ultimately do to ensure that our client's message is amplified through those channels so that's where we're going that's what we're set up to be and 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 once we have those three facets fully integrated and fully built out, then we as an organization will have that firm infrastructure to be scalable, to grow as we need or cut back relative to the, hopefully not, but relative to the marketplace and where that is. We took the snow globe and we shook it pretty good and we let things settle a little bit, but then we we shook it right to its core and changed just kind of the infrastructure of us and how we do business. But I, I personally think it's the way to go and the right to do it. And the reason why I think that comes all the way back to the people. If we didn't have the staff that we have. If we didn't hire with an eye towards amazing writers, strong personalities, strong individuals who can lead and who can give advice to clients in the way that we do, then our model wouldn't work. But it does. And the reason why it does is because of the people that make up this organization.
1: Dan, you talk about communications and public affairs being linked, especially in highly regulated industries. Uh, Energy is another Mm-hmm. a sector that we're doing a lot of work in.
2: Absolutely. And it's and we saw with this a speech I was at yesterday by the speaker of the House that the House itself and and, and government in general is making a huge push towards wind. We here in the Northeast we have we have an untapped and unlimited resource of green, renewable, reliable wind energy. And what's that going to look like? And we here in Massachusetts have the ability to be a leader in that sector. Is Mayflower and Vineyard Wind are already creating these wind farms uh, out in Nantucket Sound and and other places. And and what that is going to create is a whole cottage industry around the cabling, around selling back into the grid, and where that goes. And and we, as a communications firm, poised to be very helpful in that space and take a a role in it and, and we'll be intentional and active in how we pursue that.
0: And I liked everything that you said about where we're headed in terms of meeting people where they are with digital content. And, you know, you tapped into something that we usually ask reporters when they come on the podcast, which is, is the press release still a valuable tool? Is it, you know, a dinosaur? Our listeners are going to have to go back to past episodes to hear what other people have said about that. But I want to take a step back and ask you, Dan, what were your priorities when you first became CEO and And how have you approached tackling them? I know you mentioned some of that being relying on your team, but, you know, how else have you tackled your priorities as CEO? So
2: my number one priority was don't F it up. There we go. (laughs) I kind of woke up and was like, because... it was an interesting transaction it, it 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 wasn't a it wasn't a transition and it wasn't an, an earn out over time it was date certain and here you go kid go ahead and do it and, and i i joke i mean i i had wonderful mentors uh in this business for a long time not the least of which four very close years with Helene and ashley first as svp then evp in the organization so i they they opened up their world to me and showed me how they made decisions how the business ran all the facets of it, and were amazing in their tutelage of me. So I knew going in with eyes wide open what this organization was, how it worked, and and how to do that. I had lots of grandiose ideas around the office and where we go and taking it places, and then the pandemic hit. And then here we are, you know, three months in, And uh, we still haven't gone back to the office two two and a half years later. So it, it was my focus quickly turned to two things. One, how do we keep as many clients as we possibly can? And two, how do we ensure that our team and staff members are first and foremost okay? And I mean that term because there was a lot of checking in, a lot of ensuring that helping people. We had, you know, hate to use it, but it's unprecedented times and no idea how everybody was going to react to all of that, working from home, having kids run around and having dogs, being 24 years old in the north end in a one bedroom with nowhere to go for eight hours a day. I mean, there were there were myriad issues across the board that staff had to. To deal with. And from it has been born many things that we still employ today that the senior and, and account manager check ins on Monday, the Wednesday morning Palooza meeting that we have that I love to have with all the account level staff and have gotten to know everybody in the organization uh, so much better from that. And then, of course, Thursday Night Live, which really was are you okay? Are we okay? I mean, T.J. will remember we had a call, a conference call every morning for like the first two months at 8.30 in the morning. Everybody okay? All right. And it was every day, right? Seeing your staff, what's going on? What are we doing with the time we were running City of Cambridge COVID communications, So we kind of really knew on the cutting edge of what was happening and it, it evolved from there. But then it, that we've moved to a, a priority of, okay, we're not going to blow this thing up. We're going to live. We're going to be all right. We're going to still be an organization. Oh, wow. We can actually prosper in this because of the work that we do and the needs of our clients. Yes. Some went away, but some came. And then it turned to, all right, we have this organization. We're stabilized. How do we make it grow? And what do we want that to look like? All while riding a bike and putting it together, right? I can't put any more cliches into this podcast. I'm sorry, but... uh, (laughs) It's been different iterations of that. Uh, of are we in triage mode? Okay. Are we in stabilization mode? Okay. Are we in have an ability to higher up and to grow? Yes. Can we focus on growth in healthcare? Yep. We turned and we did that potentially. Can we grow in cannabis? Can we grow in energy and other places? Can we go out and now and, and acquire a lobbying firm and, and bring that in to bolster that tranche of the business? Yes. And and can we, now I'm I'm into more of visionary mode of, of an execution. To what that vision is. And it's not, oh my God, this whole thing is going to die and melt. And what did I do? And where are we? And there were times of, you know, oh boy, there's nobody behind me with now 50 people that look at you for what they need to provide for their families, what they need to further their careers. The business side of it and the numbers, that's for Steve, and that's just numbers on a page, but the culture of who we are and the community of who we are and the sincere responsibility that I have, the people trust me, that follow me and I'll take you to someplace that's going to hopefully present you with the opportunity to be successful, to be fulfilled, to allow you to have what you need to provide for your families and to move forward. That's my focus.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we want to keep pulling that thread. You've obviously recapped, you know, two months after you became CEO, the COVID-19 pandemic, the big changes as well, the recent rebrand, the merger with Murphy Donahue Partners. What, what have you learned from your experience leading the firm through it all? Are there are there some takeaways?
2: That you there, can share? Yeah, there are a ton. There are a ton. First and foremost, no matter what you plan for, there will be three things you didn't think about that will happen. <laughs> Generally, those are the three biggest things. Only three? Yeah, well, hopefully uh, uh, it could be 10. I am constantly reminded of how amazing the people that work in this firm are. And all I need to do is get out of the way and not oversteer this ship. And my job is to provide people expectations and the tools they need to meet those expectations. And then they go and do it. And the less that I get in the way, the more We succeed, and I'm constantly reminded of that. It it, it truly is amazing, and and I've learned how to delegate. I never managed a large organization. I, I managed campaigns with hundreds and hundreds of people on them, but that's different. It's diffuse, and and after November 3rd, it goes away. You know, that's it's not. This campaign, this place we have has a November 4th, right? It's, it's a, a little bit different to that. So I needed to learn to to lead and, and I've made my share of mistakes and along the way and you clearly learn far more from those. Um, I needed to learn that not everybody thinks like me. Not everybody processes information like me. Not everybody's motivated by the same things that I'm motivated by. And I needed to learn to understand people's motivations is to make them happy. Because if you know where they're going and why they're doing it and what they're attempting to accomplish and you get them to accomplish that, then that is what success is for individuals. And every single person is different. So I I think that the greatest takeaway I've learned from managing a business and managing people is that is it comes down to setting clear defined expectations and then providing people with the tools they need to be successful and then the last point is is again understanding people's motivations getting to know them what makes them tick what makes them drive and and what ultimately they see as them being successful
0: yeah i think that's great the last thing we wanted to ask you about you touched on it for a brief moment, but talking about going back to the office, you know, a lot of people are already back. Where do you stand on in-person operations and how do you think it's worked for our firm to be strictly remote for these last few years?
2: Okay. <laughs> So that's like three totally different major parts to this. Let me let me start with, I think we've been amazing these last three years. I think that we've almost doubled in headcount. We are you know up in clients and where, where we stand right now, we're north of a hundred clients. What we've done and, and how we still continue to produce exemplary work for our clients. We are quickly being reaffirmed, I guess, or even known as the premier communications firm in Boston, if not the Northeast Corridor. And with that comes a lot of responsibility and with that comes a lot of, of eyes on you and, and heat on you. But but we're ready for that and to take it. So how have we done in the pandemic? We've done amazing. And we've done it because our people are smart and they're resilient and they find ways to figure it out and get it done from their living room, from their basement, from wherever they may be. I think the office is going to be amazing. Uh, I think that... It's going to be, it's going to affect people differently based upon their previous experiences. Two generations of hires within our organization have never gone out with a colleague for a beer after work. Never, not once. It's basically what we do four times a week, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years and so much of the workplace happens there right you know to let your hair down a little bit let people know about itself or hash out some things or talk about client work if you want to or talk about the celtics talk about what's going on where, where things are and understand and not have to have everything be so over scheduled and only have a half an hour to meet because you got another team's meeting and 10 o'clock or, you know, where that is. I, I think from a culture standpoint, it's going to be unmatched. From a work productivity standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see. I think we could be more productive because we're very productive. But I think we could be even more because what's missing from our world right now is the drop-in meeting. The TJ jumping, po- poking his head into my door saying, hey, CBT wants to know da-da-da-da. Is that okay? Yes, that's good. And that took seven seconds, not... A half hour scheduled meeting to find time on Dan's insane calendar on Thursday, the 22nd, you know? And I think that just the speed of things and, and information transfer as us as a group will be far more efficient, far more spontaneous, and far more creative. And I think that that, without question, that'll happen. I think that account level staff don't know what they don't know. <laughs> They haven't seen a group integrate together. They haven't gone into an office. They haven't had a massive event happen in the world that all of us sit around the table, watch it on TV, and then share how we feel about it. Things that you just experience as a, as a unit, as a family. I know I use that term a lot for us, but it's true. And and having us all, we've we've really designed our personal office space with a lot. Of Collaboration areas, a lot of places for folks to sit together away from a desk, the hive area where it's going to be all the actions going to kind of take place. I think that that will enable a lot more integration of culture and of our ability as leaders. The three folks I see here on the screen are all leaders in this organization to impart our experience, our knowledge. Upon account level staff as they grow and become leaders within the organization as well. It's also, you know, it would just be good to see everybody every day, you know, and, and to come in with a cup of coffee in the morning and, hey, how was your night? How's what's going on? Is I have formal relationships with everybody in the organization. I've worked really hard. kind of have that I think pretty sure I, I could tell you something about everybody if not a lot of things about everybody. That's been hard work and not everybody can do all that. But if you see people, you know, you happen into them and you have water cooler talk and break room and that kind of stuff. I just think it'll be that much better for us as an organization. We don't have to be there every day. I think we need to learn and take from pandemic what, what work. You know, I, I don't think we need to fight traffic every morning to be in there when we can have a senior staff meeting on teams and go in at noon or not go in on Monday. Who cares? You know, I think our, our, where we're coming from at Riva is going to be a standpoint of you don't have to be at work every day, but you have to be able to be at work every day. And, and we'll see and we'll react to how our clients run their businesses, we as a service industry and a consulting industry react to the marketplace. We don't really shape the marketplaces because our clients are out there. We'll tell you this, in terms of the back to work idea, the second it becomes a deterrent to success in your business, everyone will be back. That will, that will be the determining factor. And I predict that that will happen. I don't know when, but it'll happen. Once we're all in, once we're all there and folks are, are hearing about, oh, we went, to, we went to this, we did that, or oh, we're in our office, and they come and see our office, and and then people will be like, oh, shoot, we need to do this. You know, certain industries, they'll probably benefit from this and, and not have to have overhead of offices and things and just have folks be feel comfortable and be home. But in a real network-focused individual and personality-focused business like ours, I think will benefit from that.
1: Yeah, you touched on it, but I think that new hires especially will benefit from being back in person. I mean, I think we have a very welcoming group. So I think from a cultural standpoint, you know, folks that... You know, join the firm recently feel like they're part of our firm, but I think from you know on the account work and whether it's receiving guidance or mentorship or like you said, being able to duck your head into someone's office or cubicle and ask a question um, just to make sure they're sort of on the right track, I think that's going to make a huge difference. You know, just in terms of their comfort level with getting up to speed uh, on the work.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about this, TJ. Think about how many account executives. haven't asked you a question because they looked at your calendar and you were in a meeting and or they were, you know, do whatever. And then the question went away. Right. As opposed to they could wait till they see you or or pop their head in or do whatever. I mean, it's got to be countless numbers right now because we're so as a necessity structured in our scheduling because we're all over Hill and Dale and not in one location. So the only way for all of us to get together is to say we have a team's meeting at 930 on Tuesday. That's when we'll all convene. Bring all your questions. And what happens in the 18 hours before that, who knows, because things come in and come out. And, and it's just that's what's lost.
1: Yeah. Teams has been uh, become the new water cooler. Yeah. So, um, you know, I need to get those Netflix recommendations in person.
0: <laughs> Dan, we've taken a lot of your time and we so appreciate you joining us and sharing your insights with us this morning. Yeah,
2: thank you. It's been amazing, guys. I really enjoyed it, and the work that you do for us as a firm. This this podcast has been tremendous. I know a lot of clients who listen to it and gain from it. So I appreciate you and all your work you've done. I appreciate you listening to me blabber on now for forty minutes, and uh, I could go for forty more. But thank you very much, and and all those out there, thank you for listening. And- well,
1: Dan just stepped on my line, but to our listeners out there, thanks for joining us for We've Got Issues. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations.
0: And if you've enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media. That's issues underscore group on Instagram and at issues underscore group on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We will talk to you soon.